0: Welcome to Meanwhile in the Future. I'm your host, Rose Eveline, and as usual, we're going to start this episode with a trip to the future. If you're new to the podcast, don't worry, it will all make sense soon. This week we're starting in the year 2045.
1: Officials from the United
0: Nations, NASA, and the European Space Agency released a group statement today confirming rumors that a probe from another galaxy has been identified in our solar system. Scientists have named the probe Voyager B, as it appears to be nearly identical in design and construction as the twin Voyager probes that NASA launched in 1977. In their statement, the international team says that they have been monitoring the probe for seven days. Little is known about what exactly is on the probe, but it does appear to be broadcasting a set of recordings. These recordings include a message from one of their leaders, as well as what scientists believe to be recordings of music and the sounds of animals and plants from their planet. We take you now to a brief selection of those sounds that the agency has released to the public.
2: The Star spacecraft was constructed by the Nihanu region of Gyo. We are a world of 124 million beings among the 3 billion who inhabit our planet. We cast this message into the cosmos. We hope that it survives a billion years into our future, when our civilization is far different, and the surface of our planet may even be profoundly altered. Of the 200 billion stars in the Diria galaxy, we hope that some, or perhaps just one, may be inhabited by spacefaring civilizations such as ourselves. If one such civilization intercepts Lodestar and can understand these recorded contents, here is our message. We give this to you as a present from our small but lovely world, a tiny sample of our images, sounds, music, thoughts, feelings, and discoveries. We hope someday to meet you, to solve the problems we face and to learn from the problems you have faced. We hope to join a community of galactic civilizations This record represents our hope, our determination, and our goodwill in a vast and awesome universe.
0: So in this future, a probe that is extremely similar to the Voyager probes that we sent out in the 1970s shows up in our galaxy. In case you're not familiar with the Voyager probes, here's a little background. The Voyager program consisted of two different probes, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. They were both launched in 1977, and both of them are still out there. In 2012, Voyager 1 became the first human made thing to leave our solar system and enter interstellar space, and Voyager 2 should join it next year. Both Voyagers have on them a 12 inch record, called the Voyager Golden Record. These records contain a selection of sounds meant to give whoever or whatever might play them a taste for what it's like to be on Earth. Things like the sound of running water, animal noises, spoken greetings from 55 different languages, and music from all over the world. Each record also includes a printed message from U.S. President Jimmy Carter. So in this scenario, we find something very similar, a probe made with what seems like the same technology, carrying with it a set of sounds similar, but not quite the same as our own planetary noises. You heard some of that alien golden record at the beginning of the show. Now, it turns out that there is actually a protocol for what scientists should do if they detect an alien signal.
3: You, uh, I'm trying to find the uh, protocol online here. <laughs> uh, I have uh, it pulled
0: up. It's, uh, it's post-detection.
3: do they have the, the second draft of the, that thing is so wordy. It doesn't actually get to the point. Uh, I, I'm looking for version one, the 1989 version, which I like better than the uh, than the 2008 version.
0: That's Eric Corpola.
3: I'm the uh, director of SETI at home at the Berkeley SETI Research Center.
0: At SETI, Corpola spends a lot of his time looking for alien signals. And his first job, when he sees something that might be one, like say this weird probe, is to not believe it.
3: Because I've looked at lots of stars, I've seen lots of signals, signals are all over the place. They're 100% of the time thus far, they are from terrestrial technology. So the first thing you have to do is you have to look somewhere else. Nearby, uh, You know, maybe uh, you're just moving the telescope a degree or two away from where you were looking when you saw this signal. Uh, and when you do that, the signal should go away. <laughs> that, that, yeah, that, that's a hopeful sign. If the signal stays, that means that it's just inter- another interference source. And if it goes away when you look away and you go back and you look again uh, and it comes back, then you get start getting really excited.
0: Then, once Corpola is sure it's not just interference from planes or computers or his own telescope, he calls up some of his astronomer friends to see if they can check it out, too.
3: And say, hey, if you got some time, I'm looking at uh, this star over here, and I see a narrow band signal at uh, so many megahertz. Uh, and uh, could you take a look and see if you see it, too?
0: Then, if they see it too and none of them can explain it any other way, they contact the National Telecommunications Union. To
3: declare this frequency that you've found the signal at off-limits to uh, other broadcasts, at least for a while.
0: Then, if they're still confident and they can't explain it any other way, they have to tell the International Astronomical Union.
3: You can tell how old the uh, International Astronomical Union is. They call their notices telegrams.
0: Once that happens, the alien cat is officially out of the bag.
3: You probably don't talk directly to the Secretary General of the United Nations, but you inform him that uh, this is going on. At that point, there's no way it's going to be a secret anymore. (laughs) So then that's when you do the press release. Tell everyone everything you know, and uh, then you get famous.
0: So far, nobody has ever detected signals that have stood up to rigorous testing, although they've gotten close.
3: Back in the 60s when pulsars discovered, they thought they were alien signals uh, until they came up with an explanation that didn't require aliens.
0: And in this case, with a probe that is so similar to Voyager, Corpola says that most people would probably think it was a hoax. An elaborate, expensive, and pretty impressive hoax. But if there was a public announcement that, yes, indeed, this floating object was extraterrestrial, built by non-human hands and launched from a faraway planet, what next? How would people react to that? I think you'd get about a third
1: of the people who thought that the, um, the whole thing was a fraud. There would be people who had um, been saying for years that we couldn't possibly be alone alone um that the 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 universe is too huge and the the numbers are so immense the number of of planets in a single galaxy uh that you know it's just it it would be impossible mathematically for us to be the only ones that 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 existed and so for that maybe a third of the of the population it would be i knew it all along <laughs> and then for the middle third it would be they would be the agnostics who would be waiting for more proof and i think that 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 kind of um uh division of the of the way our species always seems to shake out on any startling new concept uh is just something that's kind of built
0: into us that's mary doria russell the author of the sparrow and children of god in the sparrow the seti program picks up a signal from an alien race near alpha centauri and sends an expedition to investigate
1: there there you get into the fiction part of science fiction Um, I chose the nearest star, um, and that's even that is 4.3 light years away. And, um, you know, I fudged some numbers, but I made it take a long time to get there and a long time to get
0: back and that kind of thing. And this is probably the first thing we would want to figure out about this probe.
3: How long has it been in travel? Uh, Had it been in flight? A hundred thousand years, or had it been in, you know, a hundred thousand years would mean they're right next door. And, uh, you know, if their civilization survived, they might still be there. Uh, A billion years, uh, that's uh, an entirely different thing. And the trajectory would tell us in what direction they were likely to be.
0: But the reality here is that the probe probably came from so far away and was launched so long ago that we couldn't really send anything to try and find its creators.
1: I think that the distances are so immense, I don't believe that we could seriously get there. You've got to do a lot of fictional
0: hand-waving to make that work. But while we couldn't go there, we would certainly look there.
1: If we could figure out where it came from, boy, every every radio telescope and every spectrogram, we would be looking at them, for sure.
3: We would certainly start looking more closely at the stars in that region of the sky, uh, trying to find which planet they came from. or And uh, you know, if we don't know of planets around those stars, we would probably build something that could find planets around those stars.
0: And what would we be looking for? What would we want to know about the beings that created and launched a probe so very similar to our own? Since the probe would have taken hundreds of thousands or even billions of years to reach us, Corpulla says that he'd want to know how our doppelganger world turned out.
3: Are they a, a species that, uh, like us, when they sent their space probe, was actively destroying its environment? uh are they like us uh having problems with pollution population uh potentially food supply did they did they survive uh you know that that would be a big question that i think would be on a lot of people's minds you know is there a way out of the problems that face us Is technology going to be enough to solve our problems? Uh, Will technology even advance at the rate it's been for the last century? Uh, I don't think we even know the answer to that.
0: Now, there are some people who think that we shouldn't go looking for intelligent life out there, because that life might not actually be friendly. But both Corpola and Russell don't really take the whole aliens coming to conquer us and steal our resources thing all that seriously.
3: You know, if you want a planet, you know, you, you're a planet, you're a species that uh, breathes oxygen like us. You want a planet that uh, has an oxygen atmosphere. There's probably one of those closer that has, you know, something equivalent to trees and something equivalent to algae. Uh, so I don't buy interstellar conquest as a viable means for extraterrestrial species to make a living. Uh, It seems like going out of your way for potential trouble because intelligent species are a whole bunch of trouble.
1: (laughs) I think a lot of the um, the appeal of first contact scenarios is that somehow they will either bring us together by attacking us, that's one trope that you see over and over, we're, you know, we're very hungry for something that would make us all human beings together. Um, and so we'd, uh, we tend to think of these scenarios in terms of our own troubles, um, hoping for, for some sort of daddy to come and fix us. Um, and uh, I think that's, that's quite touching, but um, unlikely. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but here on Earth, would the knowledge of something else out there, something so similar to us, really change much?
1: The reason that I got started on writing The Sparrow uh, is, um, is precisely about how we have in fact already had first contact. When Europeans suddenly realized there was a whole hemisphere that they knew nothing at all about, that's the same experience uh, as finding out that there are other sentient beings in the universe. Um, all of a sudden there were people that weren't in the Bible. There were animals that had never been seen or heard of before. Uh, There was a whole world, literally a new world, for Europeans to get their heads around. And so we've already had the experience of being confronted with the absolute depths and breadth of our ignorance of what's around us. Um, And we're still seeing the, the cultural aftermath of that.
0: But without actually contacting these beings, without really getting to experience all the things we don't know about them, would anything here on Earth change?
3: I think for the vast majority of the people on the planet, they would hardly even notice. Uh, (laughs) So I think uh, the world would probably react calmly. But that said, uh, the world has surprised me before.
1: Um. But I don't, I don't see any way that it could harm us to know. I'd have to think about that for a while. But at the moment, nothing comes to mind where uh, people would jump off buildings or kill one another over it. I, I don't think it would be that important to, to the way that people live from day to day.
0: It's hard to say what might happen if we found this Voyager double. But there are two predictions I feel confident making. The first is that this would result in a whole lot more funding for Corpola's research.
3: You, I, I don't know that you would get rich. I do think that you would probably no longer have trouble f- obtaining funding to do uh, SETI research. Uh, <laughs>
0: and the second is that we should all invest in companies that make canned goods.
1: And you'll have... Uh um a big uptick in survivalists who are going to have like five years of freeze-dried food in their basements and they'll get they'll be buying guns the preppers would be spending an enormous amount of money on freeze-dried food
0: yeah yeah i feel like i might get a couple cans of extra soup i don't know (laughs) just to have for more on the current efforts to find extraterrestrial life head to gizmodo.com where as usual we'll post links to more information Meanwhile in the Future is a podcast from Gizmodo. It's produced by me, Rose Eveleth. Special thanks this week to our voice actors, Casey Broughton, Eddie Guimont, Kyla Hale Stern, Ryan Harrington, and Maddie Stone. Extra special thanks to Ari Baranofsky, who suggested this future to us. If you have futures you want us to explore, send them to overthinkingit at gizmodo.com. Or you can throw ideas at us on Twitter or Facebook. Just go to meanwhilefuture or facebook.com slash meanwhilefuture, and you'll find us. Also, if you like this podcast and you have a few extra minutes on your hands, it would mean a lot to me if you could go to iTunes and leave us a nice rating. It really does help. That's all for this future. Come back next week and we'll travel to a different one.